Okay, so welcome back to another episode of Ego Check. Uh, my name is Michael Mallon, and today I am joined by creative director and artist for Darkest Dungeon, Chris Barassa. Welcome. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I started playing Darkest Dungeon a little bit earlier in the year. Uh, read some articles about it and was kind of intrigued by the style of the game people were talking about, played it, and just sort of fell in love with it. So I'm really excited to be chatting with you here. I was kind of doing some research and looking at some of the things that led to the development of the game. I believe this all started back in about May of 2013. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, you got it. Okay. Uh That's kind of when Tyler and I decided to forego other job opportunities and uh, dig into the savings and go indie, as it were. And and so one of the things that I was like going back and looking at your DeviantArt site, which has some great art on there, and I encourage everyone to go check it out. But you had kind of posted something back then that said, if if you love the words 2D, gothic, horror, RPG, stay tuned. Um, (laughs) And now Darkest Dungeon exists. And I'm first things I wanted to ask you, like what would the current version of yourself like to go back and tell the May 2013 version of you about what the next three years were going to be like? Um, yeah, just like buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was quite a, quite a ride. I have to really, uh, forever grateful to my wife for, for sticking that out. Cause we had, uh, we had a, a three-year-old when we started and then we had another kid partway through. Oh, and congratulations. Uh, yeah, thanks. She she did a a hell of a job keeping the family side and the house running so that I could just pour every waking hour in, into the game. You know, we both kind of believed in it and she never played it because she was always, you know, focused firing the other the other part of uh of our life, but I guess yeah, if I could go back, I'd sort of give myself a heads up of uh you know, the the cost, I guess, or to give myself a clue that I have to be cognizant of that. Um, side of things and make sure to help out as much as I can. Yeah. And I wonder just if you can even calculate how many hours you've put into this project since that first conceptualization of, oh, this would be a good idea. Jeez, I don't know. Those are crazy <laughs> questions right off the bat, too. Let's um, dive right in. <laughs> yeah. It's like just heavyweights. I don't know about total number of hours. Obviously, I'm terrible at math because I'm the left brain guy. But um, I think like basically for the first year, I was working 45 hours a week on the game and then another 20 to 25 hours a week freelancing to pay bills, basically. So we were living like paycheck to paycheck, essentially. And then the Kickstarter allowed us to pay ourselves a small amount just to sort of live on. Mm -hmm. And that helped take the edge off the freelancing, uh, which was good. Uh, I, I did the freelancing just so I wouldn't have to dig into as like wouldn't be have to be so aggressive with like using up savings, try and prolong my sort of survival, I guess. So even the little bump that we got from Kickstarter was was really well received. Um, and at that point, I was working probably about 60, 65 hours a week on the game. So that's about like six days a week and nights, basically. And then I would try and take like Saturday and Saturday night off. And like do stuff with the family and hang out with the kids and then have some time with my wife and then go back to it on, on Sunday. And so that was about two years of that. Now that I think about it, it sounds insane now that I say it wow. like kind of out loud, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know another way to do it. I don't, I don't believe in, in, in crunch as an institution, you know, insofar as it's like implemented by larger companies, but when you're an entrepreneur and it's your own business and it's your own game and 
you know, you've got everything riding on it. Um, I don't know another way to, to get to the finish line other than give it everything you have. So that's what I tried to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like all that hard work is definitely paid off. What's been the most enjoyable thing throughout this process? Well, I just feel so grateful and have such a, just a genuine appreciation of, of the position of being able to, you know, work on a game. That's all my favorite things put together and have people like it. Um, that is the most enjoyable thing, knowing that there's an audience and it's all the stuff that I've always wanted to do, like mash up Lovecraft and medieval Gothic stuff and borrow a bit from comics and borrow a bit from Warhammer and borrow a bit, you know, from all my sort of favorite sources, a bit from Conan. And I get to just produce that kind of content, you know, the, the way I want to do it. Or, and I say, I, I really mean, you know, like us as a team, you know, my business Absolutely. partner, Tyler and yeah. all the, all the guys, but, um, Sure. To have an audience for what you're making and to love what you're making is, is a real gift. So definitely get a lot of enjoyment from that. And watching people play it, you know, on, on Twitch and stuff. I've spent a lot of hours just watching people experience the the game. And, and that's really, really rewarding, too, because you, you never got to see that. Like, even five years ago in the game industry, you'd, never, you'd ship your, your gold master and then you'd just sort of hear about it from websites or from magazines, right? Even older. Yeah. And that was actually something I was going to get into later, but dive in with it right now. I was wondering about what that's like as a designer to create the game, conceptualize it, put it out there, and then you can turn around the next second and then watch people play it and interact with them. And I know you've jumped on some streams in the past and have like watched people take on the final dungeon and how that all... Yeah. how it seems like to make that feedback system very immediate and what are the pros and cons of that for you? I mean, the con, I guess it's not really a con. It's just this, this weird thing where it takes like three months to build something. Somebody can clear in, you know, five, six hours. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of crazy like to watch somebody, you know, I watched a guy the first night we released um, the full game after early access and it had the, you know, the final dungeons in it and everything. And the, the final dungeon is actually like four different dungeon tile sets and it has mm-hmm. a lot more lore and story kind of put behind it. So it was a significant amount of effort. And this guy started, I can't remember what week he was on in game, but he, he started at something like three o'clock that afternoon and played until three in the morning and had beaten the game. And it was awesome because I got to watch him do it and he was enjoying it. And, you know, <laughs> it was exciting and, and very cool. But in the next morning, I'm all tired and I'm like, I can't believe that like, like he's done with our game and he just burned through like the entire end game and that amount of time. But, uh, and that's like that on every game I've worked on. It just takes so much longer to author the content than it does to actually just play through it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it's a con, but it's kind of like, no, slow down. You know, we spent so long on this, but again, I mean, the flip side is it was awesome to, to be a part of that and and watch him do that and watch him go into the final boss and see all the reactions and see the chat room kind of, talking about it that was all cool so awesome and so to 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 back up a bit this isn't your first endeavor in the gaming world you've been kind of what led up to to you deciding to make your own game like because there's a lot of steps along the way because i believe you've been in the industry for like 10 years or so yeah i think it's about 16 now but okay um, yeah, I think I was about uh, 12 when I, when I did this, I, yeah, I don't know. I got, uh, out of art school, I had like this kind of cartoon IP that I cooked up with a friend of mine. Um, 
And we, we worked on that uh, actually under Ubisoft for a year. So that was my mm-hmm. first game job was like my own thing, which was mm-hmm. totally unheard of at the time. But then that like got canceled partway through. So then I sort of, you know, rebooted and went back through the sort of more appropriate career steps where it was like artist, lead artist, art director, studio art director, just bouncing around Vancouver. And I shipped some games and a bunch got canceled. And I spent about three and a half years on a Pirates of the Caribbean game at uh, a studio in Vancouver called Propaganda. Okay. And uh, yeah, I was really invested in that game. It was like they were, the pitch was sort of like Pirates meets Fable. So like we had our own art style you know, everything was like really cool and stylized and it kind of had this like um, dichotomy of like good choices and bad choices and that kind of thing. But that got canceled as well. Um, and then my son was born a week after that. So I just freelanced for a while because I was pretty burnt out. I, I knew I couldn't go back into a studio and sort of give it 100% and, and get invested in something because I kind of had my heart broken a little bit. But, you know, whatever. It, it happens. Um, so after freelancing, I decided I would try art directing cartoons just to sort of ch- try it, you know, mm-hmm. so I did that for a year and it was pretty fun. Not totally up my alley. I, I always felt like something was missing cause I just love games so much, but it was a neat experience. And, uh, then I kind of was just started to get restless and I'm like, I've worked for a big studio. I've worked for a mid-sized studio. I've worked in cartoons. I've freelanced and managed to like put food on the table doing that. So like, what's next really? Like what, what other challenges haven't I sort of tackled as far as, you know, my chosen career path? Yeah. My own game was, was one of them. And then, you know, with a kid and rumblings of another kid, you know, <laughs> I'm like the, the clock is ticking on this cause it's a risky, risky endeavor. So I just figured I'd, I'd dive in. And then luckily, um, uh, I'd been friends with Tyler Sigmund and, and the timing just kind of lined up for us to finally get a chance to work together. And, and so we went for it. I watched a most of it, um, this YouTube series that you did of talking about your thought process that goes into the art and character design for the Jester. And oh, cool. one, of the, one of the characters that uh, and just watching you draw that character and talk about the design choices and how the shape of his hat really kind of showed like the type of character he was the fact that the jester hat is usually this big fluffy thing but the stuffing's out so it more it looks more like dreadlocks and just kind of all ties into this something's off center uh, yeah. with with the game and i think you decided all the all the characters all the templates it's not like fighter and rogue that's like a little bit different it's a little bit off center so why was that important to you to do things that way so it, as to stand out from the crowd of other RPGs out there. Well, I mean, that's probably number one is to just stand out from the crowd. The thing about a lot of those traditional RPG classes and they're, they're great. Like I have no inherent problem with them. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, they're the mythology of modern RPGs. Like we, we need them, but they bring a lot of presuppositions with them. So if I tell you you're going to be a rogue and then I tell you that you can't turn invisible or you can't backstab for bonus crit damage, you're going to start to say, well, this, I'm a, this is not a very good rogue. Um, same thing with Paladin. You know, there's a set of things that you expect to be there. Our combat system was a little bit different. And, you know, our, our game was trying to be something a little bit left to center. So we felt like we had to do the same thing with the characters so that people aren't bringing in these ideas about what they should and shouldn't be able to do. They're just accepting the fiction and, you know, the characters and, and the game itself as, as something that stands on its own, you know? Part, part of the family of CRPGs, but, but with an identity that you can point to. 
I don't know, I've been designing characters for a long time. So I, I just really wanted to put my own spin on, on the, mm-hmm. on the fantasy stuff. And a lot of these ideas I've had since just, I've, I've accumulated them over the years, you know, working on other stuff and you get art directed down from something. And then the idea kind of gets filed away in your head. Cause you didn't get a chance to use at that time. I mean, you mentioned the jester and I designed that character in its earliest form, like back in high school, like I have old, <laughs> like notebooks of like math 20 with him hanging out in the margins. Nice. Um, Obviously, he's a little bit cooler now because I can draw better. But, um, you know, the, the the ideas were all there. So part of it was just like the nature of what we were doing. Just wanted to be a little bit different. The same way the, pro- the approach of the game was to focus on the psychological impact of being an adventurer. We also wanted to take just like a slightly, like I said, like left to center path with the designs themselves. Just to kind of mirror that idea and keep it consistent throughout the game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I grew up playing role-playing games and D&D and still play D&D. And you're right about those expectations. And I think one of the fun things about playing Darkest Dungeon is not only the, the kind of difficulty, which we'll, we'll get into that and how you're, you should not get attached to your, to your heroes as they are kind of disposable. But even the Jester, it's like he's kind of the bard, but he also sort of looks like a clown, but he looks evil and he's got this badass sickle and it's it just kind of throws me on my head and i was first time i was playing i was like what do i do with this guy like how can i best how can i best use this guy and it engaged me in a way that if it was just oh that's the bard he stands in the back and buffs everybody but that's not always the best way to use him so it was just it was fun to experiment with all the different classes and mix and match them and see uh, how they work best Cool. Yeah. I mean, the jester is, is definitely an interesting case because like throughout early access, we would get all kinds of feedback about what was overpowered and what was underpowered. And mm-hmm. the feedback on the jester was always like so polarizing. Like some people <laughs> would swear that he, he was just like so overpowered and, and you could just abuse it and, and trivialize the game. And other people are like, he, listen, like, listen, you guys, he is the pure garbage, like fix your game kind of thing. Um, so, and oftentimes these emails would come in like, you know, just alternating throughout sure. the day. you know, I have a huge concern about the jester. And then one guy's like, yeah, it's too much. It's too little. So he was always kind of in a, in a funny place. Um, but recently we buffed like his big finale skill. And I feel like that got him kind of where he he was intended to be. But, uh, yeah, it's like, I always hated bards. I always thought they were the dumbest, dumbest class in the world. I don't know who would (laughs) play a bard. I don't get it. I mean, sure. Like, if you want to play bards, go nuts. It's on you. It's, it's all good. Just not my jam. I always thought that was kind of ridiculous. So I like the idea of like, okay, what if I took like Slash from Guns N' Roses and The Crow and The Joker and like blended it all up and, and made a bard that I thought was like, like pretty cool. Like I would play that guy. Um, yeah. And just from the, the art direction standpoint, the inspiration, you talked about those inspirations plus Rorschach and the comedian yeah. and these other characters that you just morphed into one big ball of Play-Doh of your own and then sculpted him. And there he is, which yeah. was, uh, was really fun to see that, that webs, that web series. That was interesting to hear your thoughts behind the development of the characters. And it really just showed me how much thought and care and craft went into making this game, making every element of this game. And you said you spent 60 hour weeks plus putting this all together, you know, before going further, just congratulations on all the success. That's wonderful. That's oh, doing thanks, so man. It wasn't just me working those hours either. I mean, Tyler was, Kier was, Pierre was, like all, everybody on the team was putting forward their best foot. Mm-hmm. Um, the, our audio guys were awesome. The sound was great. 
Wayne June is awesome. You know, every, everybody worked really hard. So yeah, the narrator is amazing. <laughs> yeah, he did a great job. He's great. So you were you were saying like some of the things that inspired you to go in more of the psychological end because usually with these games, really the only resource you need to worry about is hit points, and then maybe like a mana magic right. type of thing that depletes over time. Um, so this adds stress as a mechanic that sometimes escalates rather quickly. So yep. you were uh, in a previous interview, you were talking about how movies like aliens and shows like band of brothers really kind of influence that idea of what does combat and war and what do these things do to people over time? I always thought that was interesting of going back to aliens, how, how Hudson and Hicks respond to the same situation in totally different ways. <laughs> you know, Hudson, yeah, exactly. What was it like to try to take the idea of stress and turn it into a game mechanic? Like what were the trials and errors there of making that function? Uh, well, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out, like we had this, this idea, right? Um, we tried to f- uh, spend a fair bit of time trying to figure out how to actually implement it. And I got to give credit for, uh, to, to Tyler for a lot of the implementation of the mechanics and that kind of thing. But we, we talked about it for a bit and, and really we realized it couldn't just be like one thing. So, you know, we needed a, a bar because a bar that counts up is extremely digestible at, at a glance. And we wanted this to be like part and parcel of the game, not something that you got to go fishing for or figure out based on how they're barking. Cause that was one idea we had is like, let's never show it, but they just keep talking more and more nervously. But eventually we just settled on like, look, let's just, be super clear about the amount of stress, but then never tell you what an affliction might or might not cause them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted a certain amount of vagueness, but trying to figure out exactly where to slot that in was a bit of a touch point, I guess. And we always knew that we wanted this sort of persistent personality quirks to come from adventuring or come from what you did in town. And, and so really it's like a couple of different systems working together. Some personality quirks predispose you to some stress reactions and that kind of thing. So there's like crossover, but generally the whole idea was just trying to gamify what stress can do to people. Um, and, and, and the, this idea of imperfect, like imperfection, you know, the heroes are, are flawed people just like kind of you and me. And the more you run them through the mill, the more flawed they get. And then just kind of gamify that. We're not really making a social statement about, you know, the, the dangers of stress, um, so much as we're just trying to make a video game and sort of just look at RPG through this slightly different lens, I guess. Yeah. And it definitely appeals to me. Like I'm, I'm a psychologist. So in my, <laughs> in my real life, um, so playing a game where there's a stress meter just is kind of, it's interesting because it's so, I think other games are kind of picking up on that idea now and running with it. But before darkest dungeon, I don't remember too much in the way of games that maybe they'd show it through a cutscene or something, but you didn't really have something locked into the experience of the more I go adventuring, the worse my mental health gets, which is really an interesting concept to play around with. Not so much from a social yeah, it, was, it was a lot of fun to talk about. And like, I think we knew early on that we'd hit on something that was fairly, you know, could be fairly fresh. Like war games have, you know, modeled morale for for quite a while, and a lot of Lovecraft games do sanity. Some other games do just straight sanity. But we wanted something broader, like not just okay, now you're you're not crazy, and then after a little while of getting increasingly upset, you're crazy. We wanted something that was a little bit more branching, and you weren't quite sure 
what was waiting for you, you know, like it was always this idea of a, of a phantom threat kind of just looming. So once the guy hits a hundred stress, it's like, well, I don't know which affliction he's going to get. I don't know how often he's going to act out. He becomes kind of more like just a loaded gun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just the unpredictability uh, was really, really important because ultimately all that, all that RNG and all that unpredictability is, is designed to unsettle the players so that they're kind of in the same headspace as the, the avatars on screen, you know? So if you're down a guy and everyone's stressed, usually the player themselves is pretty, you know, kind of keyed up at that point. That makes returning to town like a cathartic kind of experience just for the player himself, even though it's just a different screen, right? And it, But yeah, the, the unpredictability works well to kind of like tie you to to your adventurers. There's quite a laundry list of possible afflictions and possible quirks that people, that the characters in the game can pick up where, where did you research all that like where did you get the different quirks and stuff from yeah quirks we just um tyler did all this awesome research into like old diseases old okay. disease names and that kind of stuff so that was some of the quirks came from that others were just kind of we just had to do google doc and we would just add to them and you know delete duplicates or you know that kind of thing the afflictions we sort of just tried to look at like okay what happens when people freak out like even just in game development you know well Frank is kind of snarky. Okay, well, he's kind of abusive, you know, like, let's make a guy who gets stressed, you know, start hitting people and saying nasty stuff and that kind of thing. And that's that sort of family of responses. Other people don't show up for work. Other people, uh, you know, get really sullen and, you know, game is screwed. We're never going to ship this game. Um, so we pulled a lot of it just from our management experience, you know, working, working in games and watching how people responded to like a, a crunch. And I mean, we got afflicted ourselves throughout development. It sounds, <laughs> sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. But everybody does. So it's not so bad. I guess. <laughs> yeah. And playing the game when someone gets that uh, affliction and it's almost like you have another member, you have a member of your party, but they could become your enemy real quick in some ways. So when it's, yeah. their, when it's their turn, you just kind of cringe because you're not quite sure what's going to happen. But that's um, the idea of like, it's a, it really has a management component where you can kind of set expectations. You know, you can, you can set performance targets or whatever, but sometimes people just call in sick or, you know, just don't meet your expectations. They just don't get the job done. And so, yeah, we wanted to remove or toy with this idea of like player agency and make it a little bit more malleable. Although generally, you know, games are remiss to do that. We thought that there could be some interesting entertainment to, to find there. Yeah, I think the worst was when I had a healer just decide, like, yeah. yeah, I'm not that interested. I'm just going to pass my turn, and I'm screaming at my <laughs> at my screen, getting all upset. Like, no! Yeah, yeah, that's the game. One of the things I wanted to um, also kind of talk about is when you were kind of building off that psychological point of view, you, you said something in an earlier interview where in thinking about creating this game, and playing games like Diablo, which, again, games I've loved in the past, and you just kind of hack and slash in these really terrible places, and, like, you find better gear, and that makes you stronger, but, like, really, how, like, mentally could you handle all that? Like, just because you have bigger shoulder pads, suddenly you're a better fighter. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I mean, what's been the most rewarding thing about how people have responded to this idea of a psychological component in the game for you? Um, it's kind of tricky. I mean, it's great that, that the sort of gamble, I guess, hmm. on a 
skewed look at an RPG landed that like people understood that as a player, you can enjoy being uncomfortable and you can enjoy not having things go your way. I think we were, we were scared for sure that just, you know, people would get the game when we launched early access and just not understand it and, and Mm. just be like, and, and certainly there are, there are people I should say that like, that just don't like the game. You know, it's not, we always knew that it wasn't going to be a game for, for everyone. And, and so like, that's, that's fine. Um, but it was really awesome to see that, that the vast majority of, of players understood that like a horror movie, this game is not really meant to make you feel comfortable. Um, and, and you can have fun putting yourself in almost impossible situations and you can have fun learning to think on your feet and, getting knocked down and figuring out a way around it. And, uh, and that there's, there's enjoyment to be had, although it's not the typical like achievement unlocked, you know, flowers and sort of fireworks every, every screen. Um, it's a hard one kind of victory. A lot of people who survive that first jump from like the green dungeons to the yellow dungeons, uh, or the orange ones, the sort of level one to level three jump. Once they get the a handle uh, on that mid game stuff, they start really feeling you know, like invigorated and empowered because they feel like they've kind of started to crack the code a little bit. And so, yeah, I mean, it was a risk to do kind of almost an inverse difficulty curve and, and a risk to rely on this, like, yeah, we're going to take agency away from you as a player. And, and yeah, there's, there's a, there's a random number component and sometimes you're going to hit for suboptimal damage and sometimes you're going to miss. And these are all things that can happen because that's what our game is about. It's not about, training to be a mountain climber, getting the best mountain climber gear and then climbing the mountain. It's about you've broken your leg on the mountain and now what? So it doesn't start at the same spot as a lot of games and it certainly doesn't want to go in the same direction as a lot of games. So so when people kind of got it and, and wrapped their heads around what we were trying to do, that, that was very, very validating and, and, and reassuring. And So it's it's been awesome that people latched onto that and they can still laugh and have fun and enjoy the stress a, a little bit. Yeah, you, you're talking about making that jump from, I think, into the veteran dungeons at yeah. level th- three, I believe. And the first time, I think it was one of the first times I did that, I was feeling pretty good about myself. I'm like, all right, I've had a few deaths, but they were kind of strategic in and of themselves. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take on this long dungeon. <laughs> yeah, so that was rough. And I haven't, I haven't like gotten to the darkest dungeon yet. I've been distracted. My wife's pregnant so oh congrats uh, man yeah it's exciting be that's our, fantastic be our be our first so nice we're um we're pretty excited about that um you know this released on the the pc and now next week um well probably by the time this is posted it'll already be out on playstation what what were the challenges going from one platform to the other in terms of uh putting the game out yeah, that's a good question. Uh, they were they were fairly significant, to be honest. Um, our game has got a lot of tiny numbers, okay. and uh, we did our absolute best. To, but on Vita, let's say, so we did we did our best. We increased the font size, but things are tight in a, in a couple of the menus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting a controller up and running is not a challenge, but figuring out how to make an interface that was really exclusively designed for mouse and keyboard or touch, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it's analogous to a mouse and keyboard, but that was almost by accident. Um, to get that working smoothly with a controller is a bit of a like logistic challenge, like trying something, realizing it feels clunky, shifting gears, implementing it a different way. So th- there was a fair bit of back and forth around like just precisely what the controls would be, and then going in and modifying the UI and making the menus slightly different and bigger in a few cases. Um, 
and as a result, you turn up bugs, um, and then you got to fix the bugs. Uh, so it was it was a fair amount of work, but uh, we partnered with a studio called Sickhead, um, and they took the lead on the port initially, and then we uh, we put our guys Pierre and Kier on it, uh, as well as myself and Tyler and everybody else, kind of full time for the last I'd say six eight weeks, mm. just uh, trying to get in there and yeah, like just get the button prompts in and just really get used to playing with the controller and see where it kind of falls down and, and, and fixing it. So I it really just getting to a smooth control scheme was, uh, was an interesting challenge. I, I think now the dungeon stuff plays really, really smoothly. I actually prefer it for the controller, to be honest. Now I'm used to it. Oh yeah. Um, I was wondering about that. Which one do you prefer? I mean, you said that, but why do you like the, the PS4 version? Um, the, the dungeon I find really fluid. You can sit back and the controls are, are dialed in pretty tightly and, and it feels pretty satisfying to like queue up the moves and, and hit the guys and press the buttons that like that, that stuff feels great. Um, the town stuff works really well now. Um, it took us just longer to get there, uh, because there's a lot of finagling, you know, sort of picking guys up, putting them in treatment, popping them out early, inspecting them, equipping trinkets. Like there's a lot more sort of fiddly kind of nuanced stuff that works really well with the mouse and keyboard, but we had to sort of think about it in a different way for, uh, for the console, but I'm happy with where we ended up. So cool. And as this arc of this game has been going on for, you know, three and a half years now, if not a little bit longer, um, I wonder what, what's next for darkest dungeon or is there a new project on the frontier? Um, oh man, I wish, I uh, wish you were asking me this in a couple of weeks. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I don't know the, the vague, politicians answer is like we we love our game and and we're just so happy to have found like an audience for it i, mean, I think there's a i went to pax this year just as a quick tangent and you know you see the show floor and it's just packed full of like amazing games looking for an audience and so to have found you know a, a player base and and to go to a reddit a subreddit and see people who are like discussing joking about you know complaining about just the, the, the traffic and the buzz around the game is, is really a gift. And, and so given that there's an audience and given that we love it, you know, there's more we want to do with it. We, we had to cut a lot of stuff from even just the, the full release. You know, there's half ideas and sketches and stuff lying around on my Dropbox somewhere. Um, so there's a lot that we're hoping to do with it. Yeah. And yeah. you were kind of alluding to that earlier of just, you know, watching people play it and getting, you know, very heated feedback in both directions about the gesture that it, it kind of connected with people. People are passionate about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that's what you got to remember when you, when you get like a scathing steam review or you get uh, some praise, like all of it comes from essentially the same place, like a, someone who's, who's really passionate about critiquing really loves what you're trying to do and they're trying to help it get to a place where they feel like it, it belongs. Um, so we always try to look at, um, all, all the critiques through, through that lens and, and, and try to find the through line and, and, and really what they're getting at and, and weigh the, the positive feedback against the negative feedback and kind of, you know, digest it as opposed to just going off uh, knee jerk, you know, well, this guy says change it by two damage. So let's just change it by two damage because people are unhappy. Try to give it a bit of time. But but still like you know take those those critiques at face value. Yeah, and perhaps not as specific about what's next, but more of just a, a general question. And you know, I was even thinking about this as it applies to my own life. You know, as when I was younger, I wrote some manuscripts for research 
publication in psychology and it got noticed and it was referenced quite a bit. And then, oh, after, nice. and then afterwards I was like, well, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do anything that tops that. Right. And, yeah. And I, and I wonder it's the sequel, pro- the, the second album problem, right? Yeah. The sophomore slump. No, but I was wondering like, how do you stay eager for the next project when like you've even talked about just pouring so much of your heart and soul into this child basically of a game and I just wonder as a creator, like how do you sort of regroup and take a deep breath and decide what's, what's next? Yeah, that's a, I'm glad you commented on that. It takes time to be honest with you. You know, we shipped in January of this year, but the game wasn't really done with like the town event stuff Mm -hmm. um, until later in the spring. So we shipped, but then we had to go right back to work. Um, So it was really over the summer that, you know, the the team got a bit of distance and and some perspective uh, on the work. And, and the port was fairly involved as, as well. But by that point, we had kind of had a little bit of headspace. And I think just, just loving it, you know, you kind of well up with ideas given time. So certainly, you know, when the town event patch went live, I, I didn't have anything left in the tank at that point. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you, you give it a little bit of time and, and some space. And then suddenly I'm like coming up with ideas again. And I think there's just uh, there's a lot that we want to do with it. So it just sort of naturally bubbles up, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if anything I'll ever do will be as well received as this. There's no way to know, but I mean, we all just worked as hard as we could. And I think I just want to do that again, maybe not to the same exhaustive level with the financial pressure and, and all the rest of it, like really crushing down on me. But, uh, I enjoy working hard and, and mm-hmm. I have to have a certain amount of confidence that, uh, we could make a better call Saul to a breaking bad kind of thing. And I think as long as the follow-up is, is its own animal and isn't trying to live completely in the shadow of the first one, then I think you've got a chance at making a, a second great impression. Um, but there's no re- way to really tell. So there's always that uncertainty. I don't think we've ever felt comfortable. Like when we launched early access, it sold well, but we didn't feel like, okay, we got this dialed in because we still had so much content and game to make. Mm-hmm. And then when the game shipped, you know, we didn't feel comfortable because we still had to add a few things and uh you never know the shifting landscape of steam is like this it's a crazy marketplace so we've never sort of sat back and and crossed our arms and nodded sternly like yeah we've got this dialed in and i think uh hopefully that humility will will serve us well as we as we move on to the next project you know but yeah just hearing you talk about that just in my profession psychologist i have other therapists and just we talk about professional burnout just from like our Mm -hmm. line of work and i think it applies to any profession but certainly a type of profession where there's not really a set schedule you're working all kinds of hours you're working weekends and it takes a lot of creative energy to put something out there and like regrouping to do it again it sounds kind of daunting in, in some ways i think i think if that was the plan like okay regroup we've got to do it again that would be really daunting. Like once you put that label on it, but you know, the, the blueprint for this game came out of just a lot of conversation Mm -hmm. and it, and it took about a year prior to us even kicking off just regularly hanging out and, and just talking around it. And so we're trying to give whatever we do next, the same space to, to sort of come into its own and not feel like we, you know, we've got to get something to market, you know, by mid 2017, go, 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 go. Um, we're just trying to make sure that it gets the same love and care that it's big brother did, you know, mm-hmm. um, but burnout is a, is a real thing. I, 
I, and it's, but it's weird. Cause like the work is almost addictive, right? Like, um, you're a psychologist. You're probably going to break me down pretty efficiently in your mind as I no, do I'm this. Not, I'm not working now. <laughs> this is like my side hobby passion project. So it's sure. But I found it to be like addictive. Like you get stuck on this kind of roller coaster. Like I would just mentally, I'd wake up every morning. Okay. This is what I want to get done before lunch. This is what I want to get done before dinner. And then it's like, okay, I got to do dinner, bed, kids, story time whatever. And then I'd be like, okay, go for a short walk. All right. It's eight 30. I've got until 1230. This is what, you know? And so every day you just train yourself to almost have blinders on the hardest part for me was actually coming out of that zone. Like, mm-hmm. uh, because I just lived in it for so long and, and realizing that like, okay, there's actually, I don't have any pressure right now, you know, cause I just, you get so used to carrying it and feeling it and feeling that urgency and everything you do that when it's gone, you don't even notice it's gone. And, and and so I had to fight the impulse to go back down to work, like back down to my studio because there was really no reason for me to do it other than just being conditioned that way. <laughs> so it was really hard for me to readjust and, and actually yeah, come out of the studio and, 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 and leave some of that behind. Although I was burnt out and I didn't have, you know, like I wasn't raring to go on the next thing. I couldn't, I was almost like the wheels were still spinning, even though the engine had been cut. So I still had this weird, anxious momentum to keep doing something, but, uh, a little bit of holiday time and, uh, you know, you, you start to slow down a little bit too, but there was definitely almost like a residual momentum, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. And just, I'm a big star Wars nerd. So I'm just imagining as you were talking, like traveling at light speed. And then all of a sudden you come out of that. It's like, where's Alderaan? It's not there. It's not there. It's supposed to be. That's there. actually, that's actually pretty close. Yeah. You're like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be looking at or looking for, you know, like what is, ha- right what is happening? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Not to sound like it was a great ordeal or a trauma or anything. It's just the, the nature of it. I think the only, I committed to going as hard as I could to, to do this just because I felt like the opportunity cost was high. I had a lot of people depending on me and, uh, so yeah, I did, did my very, very best. And, and just a knock on of that is you can get used to anything, you know? And then once you do, it's kind of, it's kind of weird to, to shift gears. So I'm looking forward to doing more, uh, just at a slightly more gentlemanly pace. Yeah. Well, I certainly wish you the, the best of luck. What, um, what kind of like personal lessons are you trying to carry with you through this next round of whatever is coming your way from the last three years? <laughs> Um, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I really like working with our team and so I don't know, personal lessons to carry forward. Whew. I, I think giving myself permission to not feel like I have to work all the time would be a great start. Sure. Um, not putting yeah, on 65, yeah, 90 hour weeks. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I'll do that again, but you know, being a creative is a weird thing. You're not totally in control of it. It's like, a some days I can't draw as well as others. And I know a lot of artists have that same feeling. I know writers feel that writer's block is a thing. Artist block is a real thing. So when you're in, when you break through and you feel like you've got all this momentum, you just can't stop. I think it's just, I want to make sure that when I've exhausted the momentum, I'm able to like put it down and, and not just keep grinding at it and give myself a break then. But it's hard to say like, oh, I'm only going to work till five o'clock for the next five years of my life. Like it just won't happen because you just get so psyched up and in the zone that you have to yeah. sort of just ride the, ride the tide a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Well, 
I'm glad that you guys, that you and Tyler and everyone else put together this game. It's, it's an awesome game to play. I'm so happy that it exists. And I had written a couple articles about it, about taking the rules from darkest dungeon and like making it into D and D like rules of how to use stress in D and D. So it's like, cool. it's definitely inspired me in the past and I hope people continue to, to check it out. Where can people find you online? Like, how can they get in touch with you if they want to ask you questions or just say, hey, thanks for developing a great game? Or if they want to say the RNG is bullshit, they can do that right. too. Um, <laughs> this gesture is can, overpowered. Yeah, and, all of that stuff is totally fine. Um, you can find me at, uh, at Barassa Art um, on Twitter or um, my DeviantArt page is Cribs because my animation teacher called me that on the first day one time. And it stuck. It's cribs.deviantart. Um, I don't update it as often as I should, and I never check the messages there. I'm kind of, I haven't done any personal work in a long time, so I'm not super thorough about that, but I'm trying to get back on it. So Twitter, I think, is the easiest thing. And then the game is darkestdungeon.com. You can find it on Steam. We've got a really awesome subreddit with a lot of real helpful people, some really funny people too. There's a lot of great, you know, ridiculous memes and stuff there. And uh, a lot of the sort of, more prolific modders hang out there. So if you're really, really interested in the game and you want to try someone else's take on it, um, there's a, there's links to that there as well. What, what, what's been your favorite meme from the, from the Reddit, the thing that you laugh at the most? I love the Venn diagram somebody made of like, I'm going to botch explaining it. It's like some of the key quotes from the ancestor translated into sort of graphs and charts and Venn diagrams. So like mm-hmm. one will be like time, overconfidence and and death because mm-hmm. overconfidence is a slow and insidious killer so they map it out over time to look like it's slow with an exponential ramp at the end right. um, <laughs> there's one that's like trinkets and baubles like overlapping in a venn diagram it's pretty funny i mean if, if you're familiar with the game it's funny if you don't know if we have no context it's not going to land but uh yeah, there was a few weeks where like I just had the narrator in my head, like when I was really playing the game. I'd come come home from work and have dinner and then like I'd make a few dungeon runs and just everything in my world, just I was thinking about it in his voice. And yeah, me too. Really pithy kind of comments of uh I can't even do it justice because I certainly can't do his voice, but I'd be stuck in no. an elevator. I'd be stuck in an elevator and I'd have like some funny comment in his voice in my head and I'd just start laughing and people at work are just looking at me strange. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind me. I'm just in my own mind. Uh, yeah. That's how I would, I would get myself like in the zone to write the stuff by thinking that way and, and like talking almost in his voice in my head, you know, cause I can't do it either. But yeah, just to get that, like the, the, the tonality and stuff in there, get myself in the right headspace to do some writing. Yeah. Well, thank you again for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, again, uh, wish you the best of luck with whatever is coming forward. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for the announcement or announcements or whatever's going to be coming coming down the road. Cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to chat, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>